You are listening to Talking Machines. I'm Catherine Gorman. And I'm Michael Littman. And Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the host side of the table today. I know it's a little unusual, but it's because we've got Neil on the guest side of things. And our listeners might know you from your appearances as a guest on the show multiple times. But before we dive in, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. Oh, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, I'm a machine learning researcher and a professor at Brown University. I mainly work in the reinforcement learning corner of the field. I've gotten more and more interested lately in exploring reinforcement learning as a powerful tool for people to teach machines what we want them to do. I've also been trying to help out however I can with communicating about machine learning. Uh, you and I work as the NeurIPS communication co-chairs together, and I'm really glad you asked me to be on the podcast today. Oh, I'm so glad that you said yes, Michael. I hope it's not too painful. <laughs> Michael and I are going to bring you a very special episode uh, focusing on an amazing project that Neil is involved with. And so, of course, we have Neil with us today. Neil, tell us about yourself as a guest. Oh, well, I'm a professor of machine learning at the University of Cambridge, and uh normally co-host of the Talking Machines podcast, but not today. <laughs> not today, Neil, not today. Um, and also with us, we have this amazing collaborator, Rabbi Laura Jenner-Klausner. Rabbi, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, really. Fantastic. So we usually ask all of our guests the same question first. How did you get where you are? But I think we have a pretty good scope on Neil. But Rabbi, tell us about your path. How did you come to the place where you are now? England, London, Jerusalem, London, teaching, uh, Palestinian-Israeli dialogue facilitation, youth leaders teaching, then came back to London and studied for the rabbinate, which is five years, and then became a rabbi. And then I was the senior rabbi for nearly a decade of Reform Judaism in the UK. And one of the things that happened through that is I met Neil, and I am a geek love AI and technology and so the discussions around ethics are core because I believe that as a rabbi well really any religious leader needs to get their hands into what are the kind of the ethical issues of the day and this is writ large capital letters ethical issue of the day. Neil we're pretty well versed in how you got to where you are academically but tell us about how you met Rabbi Laura. Actually I guess it goes back to Around the time when machine learning, artificial intelligence was sort of hitting the news, I read the Superintelligence book by uh, Nick Bostrom. And I was reading it uh, because I felt I had to read it to, I, I disagree with a lot of what's in it, but I had to read it to sort of understand what he was saying. And I was really, really struck by the parallels between what's written about in that book and what a lot of people were saying about that book and um, what I sometimes think of as cartoon religion. So the notion of a sort of omniscient, omnipotent intelligence that has the power to control us all and that we should respond by perhaps trying to seek immortality ourselves. And I thought, wow, it, it almost appears like what we're creating here is sort of religion by the back door through technology. And it started me thinking about relationship between what's going on. And I'm not religious myself, um, well, I'm not a believer, but I just started seeing a lot of parallels between what religious groups talk about. And I think also in this very cartoon way, I think a very simplistic way, uh, what people are talking about sort of in the superintelligence argument. But I think more interestingly, there's, there's a deeper connection in the way that religious people think about the context of being human 
in the context of what they see as a sort of existing higher power or a god. And I think that that somehow actually causes them to introspect a lot about what human intelligence is. And I really like the idea that artificial intelligence will help us introspect a lot more about human intelligence. Okay, cool. So that, that's how you got to this kind of topic of AI, AI religion intersected. How did you connect with Rabbi Laura specifically? Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, I did that thing. You asked me a question. I did. I went on at length, but I didn't answer it. I like I like your answer very much. I mean, if, 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 I think it's really interesting that you could potentially be a non-believer in religion, but a believer in superintelligence, or you could be a non-believer in both. You could be atheist and a superintelligenceist. AIist. AIist. I don't know. <laughs> so actually, through a connection, uh, I was invited to. Uh, speak with a, a group of bishops at the Imperial College. And I, I lost the invite and I ended up, I thought Adrian Weller was also invited and I ended up contacting Adrian Weller, who's a, also a friend and he does a lot of work in this space and said, Adrian, were you, were you invited to this? I thought you were invited to this Imperial He said, well, well, no, but I am involved in organizing another another religious religion and AI thing. Would, would you like to come? And, and that was being pulled together by a gentleman called Michael Wakelin, uh, who had an interfaith group that was already operational. And so I ended up going along to that. And that's where I met Laura, because the first group was, was sort of Church of England bishops. This was a, a more diverse group of different uh, faith leaders, uh, which was held at uh, St. George's House at Windsor Castle. But you party crashed, Neil. I kind of did. I, I guess I invited myself <laughs> to this thing. Rabbi, Rabbi Laura, how, what did you make of Neil when you went? I'm very happy to say that he wasn't party crashing in his own to just like leap into his defense because the whole point of this was to bring together about half and half religious leaders with AI thought leaders and practitioners. So Neil was not some outsider kind of wafting in like an atom. No. You know, front and central was the is the dialogue between AI practitioners, ethicists, and so on, and religious leaders. So that's what was so great is that you had both religious leaders and AI specialists saying, "What does this mean?" So quite a lot of the time, the AI guys had to go, and this is what is actually happening. We'd be like, mm, "That's very interesting." We didn't know that. And then, so once we got what it meant, the in simple form, then the meaning and what the possibilities are on a metaphysical level were the centre of the discussion. And it's really important. And I think it is connected to what Neil said before about the very, very, you know, millennia long thought process, discussions, debates, arguments around unseen power. What does that mean? And the meaning of humanity. And therefore, there's loads in common between us around an honourable deliberation. And I think you can sort of see that, I think, and, and it feels a bit presumptuous to say this, but what I frankly think are, are the immaturity around some of the debates around superintelligence, I think you can map them most closely to the type of debates that people had about religion sort of, I don't know, I'd say 3,000 years ago. I mean, I, in, the, in the sort of Homeric period of, of Greece would be the one I was most familiar with. And this, I think what's what's interesting when you look at, modern religions, how, how they don't make that error of uh, thinking about this alternative other power of this sort of sentient thing that's going to be doing all these other things and intervening with us the whole time, that it becomes much more reflective about what it means to be 
an entity, as, as Laura said, with this sort of pervasive external intelligence going on that you don't fully understand. From these initial conversations that you both got to have, you've been working on this much more extensive project, sort of a documentary series. I think the working title is Gods and Robots. And I'd love to learn more about that and, and to kind of start with the name. Neil, this sounds very like X and Y. It's a little reductive. Why, why call this project Gods and Robots? I think well the the thing I love about the name is it really it really conjures up that era that era I think that you know I did I did get sent to Sunday school and we were sort of taught about this God and you had this sort of idea of a bearded person wearing a robe probably like you're sort of a wise version of your grandfather and then we've got the same thing going on with uh, the representation of artificial intelligence as a sort of the robotic entity the sort of Terminator that sits at the headline of all the AI articles. And I think it's kind of a manifestation of the same era. And it's to do with, I mean, one of the wonderful, interesting things about in our intelligence is our tendency to anthropomorphize other intelligences. And I think we're, we're doing that in both of these cases. So we're looking at um, the sort of religious intelligence that believers think about, and you're saying, well, that's encapsulated by a sort of a person, you know, like like the Simpsons does, you know, some a person in a sort of a with a long beard wanders around in clouds, and that's almost exactly the same error that when we encapsulate what's going on with artificial intelligence with that image of the Terminator robot at the top of the headline there. But what's rather beautiful about it, and I think perhaps religious people have dealt with this for longer, is that that's actually a way of enticing someone into a conversation because. Because that's a starting point. And that's what it's become for artificial intelligence. And one of the things I believe quite strongly is that we are in a nice position in terms of it's one of the first ways of technology that I think has been subject to quite widespread public debate during the evolution of that technology that's having going to have a big effect on society. And I think that's probably driven by the sort of robot embodiment. And I don't think necessarily that's not perhaps what's necessarily going on with religion, but there's um, religious leaders probably have the same experience of having to start with people who think of, well, God does this stuff and actually taking them to a place. And I think actually Laura does that quite a lot. She does that very well, which you may disagree with. That's what's going on in religion. <laughs> well, Rabbi Laura, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing from you. So I know that Neil felt kind of ready to have these kinds of conversations because of what was happening on the AI and philosophy side, where people were starting to think about this, you know, can we build a super intelligence so powerful it could make a boulder that even it couldn't move? Uh, so, so he was ready to have these kind of crosswise conversations. What about you? What, why do you think this is the right time to be talking about these issues? Because they're core ethical issues in society and also to burst the myth that it's not just the old man in the clouds, but religious leaders spend their lives with their head in the clouds. And actually, we spend our time, like other people do, on our smartphones and social media. So it's interesting, and Neil, you were saying about that it's robots and so on, that's kind of enticing. I think one of the reasons that people have debated this so much is that actually they have it in their hand and they understand that in their hand there is the good and bad. And of course, in, uh, Isaiah, Prophet Isaiah says, you know, God who created both good and evil. And I think when you have social media platform in your hand and part of it is repulsive, and part of it is brilliant, um, and then you're struggling with that. It's that is what is enabling people to to bring their dilemmas about it. And one of the things you said earlier is about religion coming in the back door. This is the front door. 
And this is religion is charging straight in so that it's not, you know, let's say monks in monasteries reading texts that other people couldn't read because they were illiterate. Everyone, more or less, most people are literate in some way or another in data. And because of that, it matters so much more. And even obviously the more so in the last COVID year in a bit, where people who didn't think that data they need to interact are interacting. And we've got a completely different, wonderful load of ethical issues around data now and uh, online and what it means to take communion online, what it means to pray online. I mean, that is glorious. And coming back to your question, Catherine, about gods and robots, gods and robots is us teasing. It's like, lol, this is gods. No, it's not gods and robots, obviously. It is because for Judaism, you've got, you haven't got the plural of the gods, you're one. And it's not about gods and robots at all. However, it says it in three words, uh, that there is an interplay between discussions around gods and AI robotics. Fantastic. So gods and robots, colon, lols. Um, what, what are we going to, if I'm watching this documentary, if I'm watching this series, what, what am I going to get? What am I going to get from YouTube? I think it's, the, the idea has always been a sort of journey. And I think what we're aiming for is, is a sort of mental journey and a physical journey. One of the things I, I quite like is how some of these ideas also manifest in places. And I think, and they also manifest in people, talking to those people and going to those places and seeing how they're manifesting is, is, is a key part of it for me. The idea is to take people on that mental journey. So that starting point is perhaps that, you know, maybe this is how, maybe they've got a sophisticated understanding of religion or a sophisticated understanding of artificial intelligence, but very likely they, they don't have one of those two things. And so for anyone in that position, I think by the end of the journey, I think you'd see the same thing that I think perhaps Laura and I have seen through these conversations about these interesting and quite deep connections about two entities that are actually much more interesting than the gods and robots title reflects and actually fundamentally in both cases come down to uh, things that are really about humans that are about us and uh, people love hearing about themselves so they should all come and <laughs> <laughs> it's about you come join us we want to talk about you it's about you it'll be about you it's all about you <laughs> well speaking speaking of you neil so so you came in as a as a non-believer did did i don't know what your attitude towards religion was sort of growing up whether you were just it was just a thing that other people did or whether you were kind of anti has has this process kind of changed your perspective at all on the role of religion in, in broader society? I think it, I'm sure it has because I've learned a lot, but I don't think it. I don't think it's taken me to a sort of total dislocation. One of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing is the ability of religious leaders to do very practical ethics, and I found that fascinating. I think one slight problem we have in these conversations is. When we're working with ethicists, they're often academic ethicists, or if we're working with lawyers, they're often academic lawyers. And they're great and they bring a lot of value, but there's a missing group of people who spend their time trying to take quite complex ideas and communicate them to a, a wider population. And it's really been wonderful to, uh, you know, across different faiths, to look at the capability of, of religious leaders, including Laura, to take 
quite advanced and important ethical ideas. Exactly the things he said about we want a world where this is all the monks writing in towers. And, and kind of that is a bit the world we're in. And you've seen a lot of that where, you know, it's the sort of it's either either it's the academics or it's big tech do this stuff and you don't worry about it. We can't have that world. That's the modern monks. We need a world where people understand what's being done, take an interest in it and help steer it. My dad always used to say that the, the biggest technological revolution in religion was having mass in English, right? As a, as a Catholic, right? This is the thing. This is the thing that changed everything. Um, but Rabbi Laura, you said earlier that you're, you're a geek. Excellent. I too am a geek. But what's your, your scientific or technological background or your understanding? Where does your geekness come from? And has your perspective changed in any way in doing this project and working with you? So those are great questions. Um, I'm dis I have dyslexia and dyspraxia. And the way that I have dealt with it is by geeking up. And it has been, so, and actually, I, so one of the many, many reasons I love technology is the relief. When I was younger, it was so humiliating. And then once I started on a computer very, very early on MS-DOS and everything, you know, you're writing and suddenly this beautiful, magical, red wiggly line comes under words you change it and no one knows that you're dyslexic. So you are judged according to your intelligence rather than according to your disability. So I think one of the reasons I adore technology is that it enables me to be in the world fully um, and to have help. And, and that's completely brilliant. I am much more wary of technology from the point of view of um, and this is really stuff I've learned from Neil. So I'm thank you, Neil. You know, abdicating responsibility to the algorithm or to God, close brackets, where actually this is different. Don't, uh, don't go there, Neil, hang on. Um, that people are programming this. So what is for me is who has agency in which space? And increasingly the work I've done on social media companies, which are basically advertising companies, use and misuse of data, I'm finding increasingly concerning um, and morally repugnant, actually, because if they don't own it. They are lying a lot of the time. Um, and I think that regulations are starting to catch up, which I think is a wonderful thing. So I think that has changed a lot. Um, one of the things, coming back to what you're saying about gods and robots, you asked what it is. And one of the things it's about, it's sort of like, I used to teach tour guides, how to guide the Temple Mount or Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. And this is a similar thing that we would go to different places, see the tantalizing, glorious tech, and then say, as you walk away from the Temple Mount or the equivalent, actually, that's interesting. What about ramifications? And one of the places that we did this together, which was fascinating, was in Ghana. We went together um, pre-COVID to uh, Data Science Africa. And what I learned there about the leapfrogging that they have done there over so many stages because of the lack of infrastructure has paradoxically led to glorious tech on, inverted commas, a dumb phone should not be named that. Um, and therefore, how they have solved things around communications or water education is so beautiful and also uplifting. So that's really something I've learned. So I've learned some negative grumpy stuff and I'm definitely grumpy at Northwest London, but I've also been absolutely you know, lifted up by this. 
Yeah, this is you know, fascinating. So, so listeners come to Talking Machines to hear about what's going on in machine learning and AI. So what would your pitch be to folks like that about why they should be thinking about religion and these kinds of ethical issues at all? So, Neil, I know that on the show that you, you, you do raise uh, ethical issues actually quite often. Do you think this gives just enriches that discussion or does it add something new to it? What's, what's your take? Probably I'm a bit soppy. I also just think that people should spend more time thinking about the way other people think about the world. And, and actually, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed about the extent to which, like, you know, as scientists, that we don't talk about these parts of the world as if they don't exist. And I think that that's problematic if you're introducing technologies across the world. I mean, Yes, there's not a great history at some times of religion's interaction with science, but, you know, it's, that's not about necessarily... Well, if, if, you, if you decide that all religion is sitting in a certain way because of some stories you've heard or some things you've seen, that's kind of problematic. There is, and it, particularly if you go to a continent like Africa, where it would be highly unusual not to express some kind of faith you know, where actually data science Africa meetings might have a bit of praising of God sprinkled in and around them in a way that I don't think you're going to see Europe's doing very much. You sort of realise, well... You know, and Neil led prayer. It was amazing. I was so surprised. <laughs> now, now, ironically, I do end up having to lead prayer in college, but I end up reading it in Latin because, of course, you end up having to read the greats. Which is quite odd. I don't think I have led parent. I need uh, the sort of you know the, the reading of, of Gaussian process literature. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny we, we we can't think about diversity and impact on society without thinking about the culture of society, and you can't think about culture without thinking about religion. I think, um, even though I'm not religious myself, and I, I I also don't accept these sort of ideas that you'll hear a lot of. Uh, you know, this sort of more extreme atheists sort of saying that religion is the source of all evil in the world. That's the same like the, the AIs, that the algorithms are source. No, humans are kind of the source of all evil in the world. So that's empowering. That's a good empowering message. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I said. It's about us. It's about us. And how we're the source of evil. In... Do you think the series is going to fly? <laughs> As an early read on that, I'm just, I'm curious, you, you're talking about your, your visit to Ghana together. What do people make of you? How does that go? Like, do people get it or do they, do you have to hide who you are? Like, how does, how does, how do those conversations land? Who are you asking? This very tall atheist or this very short rabbi? Who, who are you asking? Because we are so different. Um, although we're both white. Uh, well, let's, yeah, let's talk about that. So, Rabbi, why don't you, why don't you explain, uh, you, you know, your perspective on how people saw the two of you? Well, Neil has done a lot of work there to build it up. And um, actually, one of the wonderful things is that people recognize that uh, people like Neil, who are experts, can come from other countries in a very non-patronizing way and very enabling and empowering and say, right, this is... You know, let, let's, let me give you a platform, as it were, to uh, learn how to do this for yourselves. And the whole thing about uh, Data Science Africa is it was Africans teaching each other, enabled by a few experts who are non-African. So I, don't, I didn't pick up one sort of ounce of resentment or what the hell is this person from the outside doing. The opposite, people felt grateful. I think for me, they, once they realised that I was a vicar, who is Jewish, which, you know, like a Jewish vicar, a priest. They were lovely because they love priests. They got they offered a lot of free meals, quite full food. No, people got, you know, once they recognise you're 
you're a clergy person and also I didn't get the what the hell you're a woman what the hell you know which you get in other places I think in some ways I was so other and surprising it was like oh that's what they do in England okay and also they weren't surprised that I was interested in data at all they because they were data geeks learning in the summer school and teaching each other that's what everyone should be doing that was that obvious I mean I think if I came along and said data is boring they would be more shocked Neil is a very tall atheist what was your perspective I think it's interesting I, I do think that different cultural experiences open people's minds and jar them into not judging and I think that perhaps for me that, that it I've already done that with um, Data Science Africa for a while. So I, th I think that it, it becomes, it's just a very open place where, where, which I also think that academia at its best is like as well. You know, people accept people from different backgrounds saying different things. I was just thinking also, it's a very religious society. So in a way, the odd one, the oddball is... Neil and the religious one makes sense to them. And then there's also there's this weird aspect that I've had. So it's nice that Laura said it, it doesn't appear like imposition because I think like from the very first, I keep sort of thinking, well, we already did these trips across as missionaries sort of 150 years ago. You know, like most of these countries are split into perhaps, well, let's say Uganda has a sort of Catholic Anglican split according to which missionaries went into which places. And, you know, and I sometimes wonder, is that kind of what we're doing when we go and teach data science there? And then that's why, as Laura said, it's mainly actually about, it's mainly about African lecturers and students teaching, sharing their knowledge, which they picked up from previous meetings. And so it is a very open sharing place. And actually, the, the more interesting thing for me often is the, the cultural dynamic between the different countries. So you get sort of things going along, like wasn't this Ghana meeting, but when we did Nigeria, Nigeria is a sort of very, uh, they're seen across, I think I kind of, my best analogy is that across Africa, they're, some com they're seen as some combination of Brazil and the United States. They're economically powerful. They're highly confident people all the good music and films is coming from there. If you're in a bar in Kenya, you'll be listening to Nigerian music. And in contrast, uh, a lot of the East Africans I've worked with tend to be a lot quieter, particularly Ugandans. And so the first time when we had the school in Abuja, we were in this unusual situation where the, the quieter Ugandans and Kenyans were teaching this group of African stu uh, Nigerian students who were very noisy and very loud. And so in some sense that, that that cultural dynamic is going on too, you know, and of course, if you're, if you're not from the continent, you don't sort of understand that that's, you know, that that's there, but of course it's there because Nigeria is the economic powerhouse, relatively speaking, and the roads were amazing and everyone was stunned by that. But then they felt odd to be in a situation of coming and teaching the Nigerians, which they see as a sort of leading country in the continent. I think there's a concept, well, there's a um, Jewish religious concept of having, coming to something with clean hands. And if you compare going to, for instance, Data Science Africa or other spaces where you're teaching about data honestly and naming who owns what and enabling people to teach each other and learn together, it stands in very stark contrast to what you asked before about what the negative stuff I've learned. And I think that there is a lot, because things are hidden, then there is a lot of work going on and exploitation financially um, and morally 
of people without where the companies don't have clean hands and therefore the ethical aspect of working out which is which and how it works is a core collaborative work and if you you can't do it separately that's what's so lovely about something like gods and robots is it's one of those moments where you wouldn't assume that you put religious people with ai people but when you are together and you're having those discussions you go of course how would we how would we not bring these different views together because we would be lacking wisdom and that would be wrong. Absolutely. So yeah, let's, let's talk more about that because very clearly like neither sides of this conversation are going away, but they are changing incredibly quickly. So Neil, I'm going to ask you to predict the future because I know you're very good at that and very comfortable as a scientist with predicting the future. So, okay. So like by 2050, the, the Pew Research and Religious Freedom and Business Foundation uh, did some did some research on the number of people in the world who feel that they will be religiously affiliated. And they say in this project by by 2050 that there will be 2.3 billion more religiously affiliated people self-identifying compared with just 0.1 billion people who are more billion people, excuse me, who are religiously unaffiliated as they self-identify. You'll predict for me sort of like where we're going as a species and like what do you think the interplay is going to be between religion and artificial intelligence, especially as we think about them in sort of these like iconographic monoliths of gods and robots. Well, I think I don't know about the number of religious and non-religious people and I can't, you know, and it's difficult to predict this future, but I, I, I can say about the kind of world that I'm hoping we get and trying to help work towards and I think that that's one that um, views as more precious the aspects that are uniquely human. I'm sort of somehow the anti-transhumanist. And, and I think that, that the phenomena you're talking about, whether that happens or not, I think if it were to happen, it would be part of that. Religion is intimately connected with communities. And I think one challenge we have, and I've tried to read books about this, and I, I don't think they're providing very persuasive answers, is in a world without religion, what replaces that community and cultural aspect? Because I think we're starting to understand that it's not simply replaced by a sort of entirely commercial world. That that's kind of the direction we've been heading in. And I think somehow, I hope the pandemic has helped us see that even more. So I think the machine also helps us see that more as, as we, we build so-called machine intelligence. What my hope is, you know, what I found is as technology has got better and has done more and more things, I've tended to crave the direct human company of other people more. So I don't find it satisfying to talk to someone on the telephone anymore. I used to be happy to do that, but I, I find that isolating now. And I wonder if what you're describing might come about because people will look more towards the things that are, that are naturally human. And I think part of that is being in a community, whether that's a local community or a wider community. And then I think that religion is definitely providing that for a lot of people. So it wouldn't surprise me from that perspective. And the question for the non-religious is, well, how are they going to get that same community feel? Which I think is a question I'm very interested in as a non-religious. Just hang out with religious people. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I think a lot of the um, the tech giants that are doing social media, they talk about their technology as a replacement or or an augmentation of a lot of these things. Like, hey, you're connected to more people like you. We can we can all get along. We can share our views. It's it's like it's like supercharged community. So, Rabbi Laura, do you feel like that's what we're getting? <laughs> are we getting community only better through these technologies? Um, no. Uh, or yes and no. So I used to doubt the possibility of virtual communities. But this year, for instance, I've learned to coach and it's only been um, online. And I do feel very, very connected to the people that I've met and committed to. So that is, it's not, you know, I have experienced a depth uh, there of communication. However, it feels like there's cling film cellophane between me and someone else uh, online and I agree with Neil about the isolation Um, and also I don't agree that what's happening is the same as what happens in religious communities because of the lack of vertical toward or in humility and in the search for the transcendence which I think is really important about how we see our own humanity and also from the point of view of rituals and the depth of millennia and also having the humility around having a common memory. What does it mean for Jews, for instance, to say we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt? That is a very massive thing in how I see life and what therefore my obligations are uh, to other people. I also want to come back to on what you're saying about predicting the future, Neil. And actually, I think there is some prediction of the future we can do from the point of, view of religious communities, because the big data on religious communities is in the womb. And what we have seen in the demographics in certain religious communities, such as the Jewish community, which will the ultra strictly Orthodox community will double by that figure of 2050 in the world. They will be the majority of Jews in the world will be people who say that they don't welcome technology. Now, what's fascinating is they do and that they sneakily have their smartphones in their pockets, a lot of them, and therefore that might counterbalance the womb. But if you have an average of 8.4 children, then we've seen the direction of fundamentalism. And what is true in that section of the Jewish community is true also for some Christian communities and some Muslim communities and so on. So the fundamentalism demographies the big data on that, as it were, is that definitely what the figure that Catherine gave, which is so fascinating, uh, shows the direction of travel. And also, of course, coming back to Africa, one of the reasons that the um, Google AI have put a uh, new center, their big lab in Accra, is because the, the age of 75% of sub-Saharan Africa is sort of under 24 or something off the scale and very religious Society, so really fascinating. So some of the what will we be doing from the point of view of tech, we might not be able to predict. But from the point of view of the next fifty years of fundamentalism and growth of religious people, I think that that the writing is on the womb as opposed to on the wall or on the wall of the womb. I'm really excited about your show. This gods and robots thing hits, you know, pushes all my buttons. I, I, um, I helped run a congregation, uh, about 10 years ago. And, and so I see, you know, I see the value in community and bringing people together in, in this kind of context. And of course, from the, the AI side, I'm super excited. It's these, these are topics that I think about all the, all the time, but let's think about maybe the skeptic. So the, the skeptic of both sides of this might be, I don't know, an atheist Luddite. 
So like, what do you suppose an atheist Luddite could take away from listening to your show, Neil? I think that's probably the, um, I mean, that would be the best initial audience, I think, that in terms of their, their starting point. The journey for them, is, I think, is going to be the most interesting. That would be what I say. That That's the aim, because, and, and I don't expect people to think deeply about all these issues. I don't sort of, you know, think there's anything wrong with people who say that they don't understand about these things. But I would like them to... I would like there to be opportunities for them to go on a journey where they can develop that understanding in a way that doesn't feel like hard work. So I think for them, it's like the, the, it's the ideal. Well, I would love an atheist Luddite to say, ooh, maybe I can do this. Because I think there's quite a lot of fear in Luddite life um, and the issues that we want to cover in Gods and Robots of what is the meaning of work? What is the meaning of death? What is the meaning of war and peace? Those are issues that cut across. And the Luddite thing, which says, I don't like this, I don't want it, is not like Neil's thing where he really knows how to use the phone. But the choice in I know how to use the phone, it's useful to me sometimes, but I also want other types of communication. And for me, what's important also in religious life as a rabbi is to expand opportunities. So this is about enabling people to say, oh, Maybe I can do this, and maybe this really is important for me. Now, I was just thinking that the Luddites as well, they were actually, uh, I think they were weavers, weren't they? They were weavers who, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between what the Luddites were going through. I mean, I know that history has them down as people that are anti-technology, but they're actually people that I think were trying to control their own destiny and, and take it back from the equivalent big tech of the time, which was the uh, um, industrialization of their profession. So, of course, you know, maybe they didn't go about it quite the right way. Um, <laughs> but there's a, lot, there's a lot to learn by looking at those stories. Yeah, I mean, because in some sense, the, the equivalent modern argument would be that you people are, who are anti this sort of that mass exchange of information across social media are anti-technology. Yeah, I mean, definitely those companies can make a lot of money by doing this. Um, but I think that we, we and, and I think what we really just want is people to understand what the trade-offs, and we can all benefit a great deal, as, as Laura's also said, from these technologies. But it's it's empowering people to make decisions about about how that's happening to them in the, the best way we can. Helping them to negotiate a, a relationship to this technology that's mutually beneficial. Yeah, that goes beyond the, the, the idea that that's like a, and I think that that's what comes back to this final thing about sort of gods and robots. And, you know, I can't really speak for the religious, but my sense is that, that it's not, you know, an individual's relationship with God, if they're a person of faith, is something that's within their control. It's not something that's imposed upon them. And because it isn't this entity that is sort of sitting there on a the throne, making rulings about the planet. And in the same way, an individual's relationship with AI is not a relationship between you and this well, it doesn't have to be a relationship between you and this all-seeing, all-powerful entity. If, if you engage and understand what's going on, you can have a relationship, I would hope, that uh, is uh, more beneficial for you. There are far more instructions on NI than there are around God. But are they good <laughs> instructions? <laughs> you can't do I'm going to go on YouTube now and find out how this works. No. I'd love to know the URL for God. Neil, thank you so much for the time. This has been an amazing conversation. We are awaiting uh, Gods and Robots with bated breath, and we'll have to have you come back on to talk more about it with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us on. It's great.